Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us and welcome to MatchCast. Today, we are very excited to be joined by Maddie Osman. Maddie is a SEO content strategist. She helps businesses grow traffic and sales with blogging. Maddie works freelance with a variety of different clients. She has a cool breadth of experience. She writes on her own blogs at The Blogsmith, that's the-blogsmith.com, as well as Chicago Cheap Ass. We're excited to have Maddie with us. Maddie, thanks for joining. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm excited to talk about our topics at hand for today. Absolutely. Fun, fun, fun. So the topic at hand is SEO strategy. And then we're going to try to, once we start at the high strategic level, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into uh, process and some details of how you go about delivering great value for, for your clients. So to start, we met at Content Jam, which is a content marketing conference here in Chicago that our mutual friends at Orbit Media put on. Shout out to Orbit as usual. Love them. Everybody who's come across them and had the opportunity to get to know them uh, can really appreciate how helpful they are. And so following that thread, appreciate having met you, Maddie. And uh, just to kick it off, where do you start when you have a would-be client or a client that's agreed to work with you or just a, a, a blog that you're, you're starting? How do you decide and where do you begin when you're developing that strategy? Yeah, so I think that one of the things I start to think about, whether it's in regards to blogging or social media, is I like to create what are kind of like content themes. So like different types of posts or articles that we'll be talking about so that there's some level of strategy and consistency, but also some diversity built into that strategy. So, you know, maybe once a month we're talking about, you know, maybe it's something to do with like employees and like featuring them. Maybe once a month we're talking about something that's like a super hot topic for the industry right now. Maybe once a month there's some more, you know, evergreen like how-to content that makes sense no matter what part of the year it's in. And then maybe even the other post or article has to do with you know, something related to the the month that we're in, a holiday or something like that. So I think the first step is kind of defining like what are the different things you want to do throughout the month or maybe even throughout the year, creating some sort of content mm -hmm. calendar of sorts to build in all these different things. And then from that kind of high level themed out situation, getting a little bit more granular with what are the individual topics that would fit under these specific things. Cool. And then where does the audience fit into that? Did you, have you already determined who the audience is? The client tell you who the audience is? The themes I would assume have to connect with the audience, right? Oh, absolutely. So when working with a client, again, whether it's social media or blogging, I usually have them fill out this sort of intake form. And I think as we go through this conversation, you'll find that I am a huge proponent of just having processes in place, you know, creating templates and strategy and things so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. And so that you kind of have a directed conversation with the client or whoever you're working with. So with regards to figuring out the audience, I think part of that is 
having sort of like a Facebook ad strategy targeting approach about it. Things like demographics, how old are they? You know, what type of job do they tend to have? Where do they live location wise? You know, what are other types of brands and businesses that they like or respond to? You know, high level and low level details relating to those things. But then when it comes to content, I think another thing is you can't always just guess, especially if the brand is new. You know, you don't, you're, you're just guessing about who the audience is if it's new because it might end up being somebody totally different than what you're um, forecasting it might be. So part of that too is I think going back into tools like Google Analytics and seeing how an audience actually does break down by location, by demographics, by interests. And things like that. And Facebook and Instagram and Twitter can also provide a lot of that same data. So you can kind of compare across your different social channels and online properties to determine if your guesses were, in fact, correct. Cool. So you have a process in place by which you have a group of questions that you ask every client at the beginning. You get some of that qualitative information from their point of view of exactly who they know it is or who they think it is. But then you're going to supplement that with quantitative like looking into Facebook ads and think you know, that, that's speaking our language. We're a Facebook mm-hmm. ads heavy firm. Understand what you mean by that. And then the, analyt- the Google Analytics side, another source of figuring out who you're speaking to before you start speaking to them. Do any of these things differ if you're talking to a business to consumer business or, or a business that's trying to attract other businesses as clients? Oh, totally. I mean, the messaging ends up being totally different because with the uh, consumer audience, you know, you're trying to get them to buy for just themselves or, you know, maybe someone in their family or a gift or whatever. But with the B2B audience, you have a much larger pool of potential buyers and you have to kind of focus your messaging and content creation around knowing this fact that you're not just trying to appeal to maybe even one decision maker, but many different types, you know, with all different levels of involvement in the buying process. And you know, inevitably, the messaging is just different because of these different uses and these different audiences. Yeah, and in the B two B scenario, some of those some of those decision makers might even be in, in not necessarily in conflict with one another, but they might have very different emotional triggers or needs or priorities. Right. And so sometimes it can be challenging to kind of speak to all of them. Exactly. So once you have the strategy, the audience developed, you start with themes. And how many themes are appropriate for, for a client? Is, does it depend on how often you're posting or how do you figure that out? Yeah, so I think maybe a good place to start is when I work with a brand on their blog and they're either starting it from scratch or looking for some direction, I always say it makes sense to post anywhere between one and four times a month. And it could be more than that, but just the bare minimum I would say is once a month just to have this level of consistency so people know when they go to your blog, you know, and it's been a month that they can see something new. Also, you know, it's a triggering factor to Google that you're, you know, constantly providing up-to-date information and that Google should keep indexing your website and serving up those results to people. So one is kind of my bare minimum. I prefer, you know, one a week. I think that's better. I think even even two is kind of getting in between where at least, you know, for the most part, when people come back to visit your website, there's something there. But I think with a brand that deals with more like newsworthy content and trying to 
stay on top of trends and things like that. Um, you know, maybe two a week is more what they have to aim for. So I think you have to base your themes around how often you're posting. I mean, it's going to be largely industry dependent too. I think I see a lot of blogs, uh, a pet peeve of mine is where, you know, they just focus on like, here's like a new product update or something like that. And it's just such a wasted opportunity. I think content like that belongs maybe in a newsletter or on like a, a social post or something like that. But a blog, in, in my eyes, the main purpose of the blog is to, you know, A, connect with the search engine and be able to to rank for multiple keywords that you're customers are using, but B, also to provide value to customers that helps win that trust over and makes them want to then, you know, either purchase with you, use your software, whatever it might be. So I think that using the blog for purposes other than those, like by saying, hey, here's like the new updates we have, like, I I don't think that does a lot unless you're something like, you know, Instagram or something where their updates are actually newsworthy. That seems like something that's written from the company's point of view of what somebody internal wants to say rather than what the audience is interested in hearing. Yeah. So it's like, if you're going to go about and do that kind of an update post, like what's in it for me? What do, how is this going to change my life or change how I use the software? Not just sort of like the technical specifications. Yeah. We had a bunch of people work on this feature. So now there's pressure to market it externally, even though, even though we're talking about the feature instead of how it might benefit the, our customers or clients. Exactly. Cool. And then, so you've got a few themes and it's partially dependent on the industry. It's partially dependent on how often you're posting. It's partially dependent on mixing things. You want some evergreen, you want some kind of newsworthy of the moment, 2016 holiday ideas, et cetera, which can get a lot of traffic, but you know, it's not going to get a lot of traffic in June of 2017. So those are always fun when they get dated and you get a spike <laughs> and then you're like, but, and now it's dead. It does nothing for us anymore. And mostly it sounds like you search engine driven, which makes a lot of sense. Where do you start really doing a lot of research on the search engine trends, on different competition levels for keywords? And how do you decide whether it's at the theme level or at the post level, what keywords you want to rank for? Sure. So I think... A lot of mistakes that people make when creating content with that SEO focus is they they focus so much on optimizing for the search engine that they ignore the fact that the final user is the reader and the reader is the person that you're wanting to convert either into a subscriber, buyer, advocate, whatever. So I think that like the very first step is either asking your existing audience, you know, what are some things you're struggling with related to fill in the blank industry, something like that, or by going to a website like Quora or, you know, in the past Google or not Google Yahoo answers where people are in real time asking questions about things they're confused about. And so part of it is just looking for those questions, looking for trends within those questions. Another thing that I've heard that I really like is you know, uh, people that are using your contact form on your website to ask questions, that could be a really good data source for keywords and topics to use. So once you kind of have an idea, that's when you want to test it. And so that's when you go to something like Google Keyword Planner or 
some other keyword tool. Um, another one I really like is called Answer the Public, and it kind of takes a thought and completes it a little bit more. It suggests other things that uh, people might type, you know, before or after the keyword you designate. So that's when you go to, you know, your preferred keyword tool of choice to determine, you know, is that something that people are actually searching for? But I think another common misconception when they're actually testing out their keywords is something that has a huge search volume doesn't necessarily mean that it is a relevant search audience for your topic. So, you know, take the example of something that's super generic, like dresses or something, but you sell, well, we'll just say Christmas dresses, whatever, you know, something holiday specific. And so is that larger audience of people searching for dresses going to care about your holiday dress post? Probably not. So you want to get a lot more granular than that. And then from there, you know, are they are they affordable dresses? Are they luxury dresses? You know, is it something that they can buy online? Is it something they have to be in a certain location for? So you have to take that, whatever that search volume is with a grain of salt. And then from there, when you're looking at the competition level, whether it's, you know, low, medium or high, if it's a high competition keyword, and you know that, you know, Kohl's is competing with you on that dress keyword, like you're probably not going to beat them. So you might want to focus your efforts on the more low medium, because I don't think that you you probably shouldn't get too caught up in like the numbers or the fact that it's lower medium, as long as the people that you're trying to optimize for that you're trying to target are relevant customers, it's much better to get, you know, 10 relevant customers than 100 irrelevant link clicks. Absolutely. So I'm hearing a couple things. One, when you see some keyword that is related to your site, but it has giant traffic and high competition, you want it, you tend to get more specific. So just holiday dresses, it would be like, black holiday dresses at retail stores in Chicago or something like that. Yeah. And so so that's one tip would be try to find the long tail that connects to what's going on on your site and maybe what you have for sale or what your business model is built around. That's is 100% that right? correct. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking at keywords and you think you know what you want, but you're getting those high search volume, high competition results, then that's definitely a sign that you need to get more granular until you get to that more ideal mix. Cool. Interesting. And then the other thing I was hearing you discuss when you're talking about how you pick a, a topic was, again, combining the qualitative with the quantitative, like you're going and looking on Twitter, or looking on Quora for discussions that are already happening. So you can kind of figure out what questions people are already asking, what they're already interested in talking about. And then you, once you think you're on the right track, you go and kind of um, confirm that with some data on the you know, couple tools that you mentioned, which we'll link to in the yeah. Show notes. So basically, I mean, like anything else in marketing, it's just a process of guess and check, right? You know, we we think we know everything, but until we actually combine that with data, it's just a guess. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so let's say you've got the topic, and you've got you know, a post ready, you've got the title, do you start with the title? How do you, once you have the idea and you've, you've guessed and checked and you're like, this is a good place to go with this. It fits our theme. It's time to write this. 
what kind of research goes into that part of it when you're really starting to dig in? Do you, are you finding like semantically linked words? Like I think you um, mentioned a tool. What was it called? I want to link to it. Answer the, uh, the public. Answer the public. Yeah. There's other so ones like, too. Google does that too, just at the bottom of a search where it gives you related searches. That's is that is it the same idea? Yeah. So you know, bringing back Orbit into the picture, Andy Crestedina has given a couple of presentations about different ways that he optimizes his posts. And I think one of his examples he always uses is he made a post about like stuff you should put in a website footer or something like that, which kind of a dry topic. But if you're a web designer and you're, you know, learning the ropes or trying to make the best damn footer you can, like those are, that's probably, you know, a post you want to refer to. And so he kind of detailed that by creating this post, he did a lot of semantic search optimization where he used, you know, Google's auto complete or, you know, tools like Answer the Public to figure out when people are searching for website footers, what are some of the other topics that come up? What are the exact terms they're using to search for it? And into his post, you know, not only did he try to optimize for whatever his main keyword was, but he also made sure that there were all these other semantically linked keywords, which Google interpreted as, you know, making it a more in-depth resource. And, you know, obviously Google's changing all the time, but I think they're getting smarter than just, you know, keyword here, keyword there. Okay, cool. This post, you know, is a good resource for that. It, it's coming down to things like semantics and, you know, like the other things you do besides keyword optimization, more favoring the user than the search engine. So I think that's definitely one of the things that I'm going to be more cognizant of as we move into 2017. And I, and I do try with the posts that I'm creating for my clients to try to write the keywords in a different way, you know, still optimizing for that main keyword, but making sure that there's variations of it, at least like the most popular variations. Yeah. What other things, just as long as you said 2017, and we're talking about things that are not evergreen, <laughs> what other things are you looking for as we go into 2017? Or are you looking to do more of just based on what you're learning from people like Andy? And, yeah. And well, others? one thing I do want to mention is the like pop-up situation. <laughs> so, you know, when you go to a website and it's like sign up for our email newsletter and the pop-up is triggered right away. So that's something that Google is going to really crack down on in 2017. I want to say it's like February or something that people have been warned about. Don't quote me on that, but it's it's sometime early in the new year where they're going to start penalizing different websites that automatically trigger that pop-up. So that said, there's a bunch of different ways around it. One of it is making that pop-up trigger later, you know, maybe 30 seconds in instead of five. Another one is having some sort of like welcome mat thing where it's not a pop-up, but you prominently display an email sign-up form, you know, on your homepage or something like that. Another is the exit intent pop-up when someone goes towards the, you know, big red X on their browser or whatever, and instead having the pop-up trigger after the fact. So there's a lot of things with regards to pop-ups you can do to kind of still have them, so to say, because I think they are a really effective conversion tool. But for now, Google is saying that the traditional application of them is something that they will not support. And in fact, you know, they'll punish you for 
Yeah, we love pop-ups, except when, but but only when they're used correctly. Because if if that's the traditional application of them, I would uh, argue that they've been applied in a way that makes for a bad user experience. Because we do a lot of work with like e-commerce sites and say e-commerce fashion sites in particular, and so many of them are built on Shopify, and it's like so many of them have just heard or know that this pop-up is a good idea, whether it's a enter your email for a discount or whatever it might be. But right. I really don't like when I get to the site and it just immediately pops up you know? <laughs> and it's often the site's a little bit slow. So the site hasn't even loaded yet and they're already asking me for their email, for my email address. It's like, isn't there something you're supposed to be showing me about what you do and who you are and why I'm here? Exactly. And, and I just met you and you're asking me for my email address. Like, give me 30 seconds. Let me scroll around your page a little bit. And I even think 30 seconds might be a little bit too soon. It's I do like the exit intent pop up because it's kind of like what do you have to lose at that point? But the timing of I don't know, maybe multiple pages, like if you go to a few pages and and you've been on the site for 60 seconds, that's kind of more my speed. Yeah, like a goal triggered pop up or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So you've done the research now and I know you're process oriented, so you've done the research now, you've got the topic, you know what keyword you're optimizing for, you've got a bunch of semantically linked phrases to your keyword that you know you want to include. I've seen Andy's presentation on that where he literally writes out the words he's going to include and then kind of crosses them off as he includes them. Is there a big piece of this that's just that you enjoy as a writer that now you get to dive in and kind of wordsmith and, and do your writing or, or, or and how do you step away from a lot of this reverse engineering research to try to rank well and, and put your writer hat on. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's important to go into writing knowing what at least your target keyword is so you can kind of seamlessly add that in as you go along and it creates less work at the end. Because I think one of my least favorite parts of doing SEO writing is if I don't go in with a keyword that I want and then have to rewrite the content around that. So I think just by kind of knowing your purpose and going in with a plan, that makes the writing experience a lot more enjoyable. But another thing that makes it easier, and this isn't really SEO related, but more writing related, is um, coming in with like an outline. So I think when I first started blog style writing, I would just kind of like, you know, maybe come up with a couple headings or something, but past that, just kind of dive in and do my best to write that out, do my best to create an article that made sense. But I found a lot more success by, again, you know, creating a process, creating a structure that guided what I would be writing about in a lot more detail. So, you know, it's not, not necessarily SEO related, but just having a process for everything you do just makes everything kind of work better the first time around. Yeah. And then if it's the seventh time around and it still could work better, you get to tweak your process and now you have an improved upon process. If you don't have any process at all, it's just like, oh, this seems like a good idea to try. Now I'll try this. And you may forget that that was a, the main difference and it maybe worked super well. And that could be a, a big finding that you might lose if you're not process oriented. Exactly. And you, have to, you definitely have to document your processes as you find these things that help you be successful so that in the future, you know, even if it takes you a little bit of time to create a structure around it, but that's time saved over the long term if it's something you do a lot. Yeah, cool. Another kind of maybe a slight change of pace, but 
it seems like you're really passionate about this. And I've, um, in a different life, done some very creative uh, making of, of things. And I saw a tweet once about the emotional creative journey that super resonated with me. How does it feel to you, like, as you work through beginning, middle, and end of a post? Do you have, like, a an arc that you feel like you go through? Or is it pretty much like you're just delivering something and you and you uh, kind of know where you're going? Or do you have ups and downs as you're, as you're developing it? Um, kind of. So I think it's, it's kind of weird, but I like to write the intro and conclusion first. Hmm. I, I don't really I like know that. why. I don't, I don't think I could put it into words, but it kind of just, I, maybe it creates like a sandwich of sorts for the rest of the content. And, you know, once I have those two done, I'm like, well, I already finished the end. So the rest of it should be pretty easy. For sure. I like that process. I guess what one thing that I was thinking about, I, I made music videos in a past life and like, I would get so excited when I got a band and, and knew that I wanted to make a video for them and I'd reach out and they'd agree and I'd have this awesome idea. And then even like digging in, starting to do it, I'd be like, okay, this is going to be pretty good. And then I would just get to this point where I'd be like, oh man, this is going to be really hard actually. <laughs> and then another point after that was like, uh, this might not work. This actually kind of sucks. And then like it comes around the end. I'm like, hey, it actually turned out exactly how I thought. I just found that to be like really funny that it just, there's such an arc of ups and downs when you have to put some of yourself out into the world. And yeah, maybe for some of your blogs, it's different from others. If you're doing work where you're writing more specifically about yourself or your likes and dislikes versus your, versus client work. But um you know, we definitely put ourselves into our work, especially when there's a creative piece to it. And uh, I like to monitor the emotional uh, arc as that happens. Yeah, I think for me, a, a lot of the emotional part of the process happens at pitching. So whether it's a new client or somebody that I've worked with for a while, and we're trying to determine what the next topics are that we're going to be writing about. And, you know, when I, when I pitch to a brand, and I know that we have a lot of consistent articles coming up, maybe one a week, maybe two a week or something like that. Sometimes I like to just find a quiet place, you know, set a timer for 20 to 30 minutes and just think of as many topics as I can. And I'll pass that list on to the client. I like to use Trello so you can kind of organize it a little bit. But a, a lot of those, maybe even most of those topics get rejected. And that's just part of the process because, you know, the person behind the brand or the person on their content team is going to have a different opinion about what's going to make the most sense for their brand than I do. And that's fine. And, you know, if they reject something that I think is really, truly awesome, you know, I'll give them more of a follow-up on why I think we should use that and they might change their minds. But, you know, they're allowed to be picky. That's their prerogative. And, you know, so it, it is emotional when you think that you have like this amazing earth shattering idea. And then that's the first one on the chopping block. <laughs> well, it's a good process to have to have 20 or 30 ideas or however many you can come up with in that quiet time that you set aside because you, you know, you allow them to pick however many, the small percentage of them that are actually going to get made that they like. So. Right. That's why you need to have so many because you know that most of them are yeah, going to yeah, be rejected. Yeah, you've got these two great ideas and they're like, uh, <laughs> I don't like either of those. Like, then you have to be like... Oh, right. Yeah, that's when you're yeah. in trouble. Oh, I've got a few more. What about this idea? Cool. So you've done all this research. You've written this awesome post. What are you looking for once it goes live? How do you define success or does that change based on who the client is and, and who the audience is? It does. So I think if it's something like 
a news outlet or a high authority blog or something like that, my definition of success is, you know, how many people are reading and sharing it compared to other top articles on that outlet. So that's what I mainly look for there because they're, if it's more like media, they're not necessarily looking for people to buy stuff. It might be more about, you know, people just taking action on the articles in some way or, you know, maybe subscribing to a newsletter. But if it's a client that's more B2B focused, you know, they're looking for newsletter signups, they might be looking for comments, or, you know, the ultimate goal is sales. So those are how my metrics change there. And then if it's a B2C type of client, you know, again, it comes back a lot to sales and subscriptions. And how can I create these conversion factors in the content besides just whatever the main topic is? Awesome. That makes so much sense. And it is all very dependent on the situation, who the client is, what kind of client they are, who the audience is. But at the same time, having a process sounds really important. So maybe you wouldn't mind sharing some of those things with our listeners when we uh, when this post goes live. Is there anything else that you would want to mention before uh, we bring this to a close, Maddie? Um, where should people go to learn more about you? Should they go to the blogsmith or where do you want to send people? Yeah. So I would recommend that if people want to learn more about the kind of stuff I'm doing, and I try to share a lot of high quality content on my blog there, um, the-blogsmith.com is the place to go. And I am currently trying to develop a course for freelancers, you know, individuals and small businesses about different tactics they can use for personal branding and not just from kind of like the flowery princess like pretty you know branding side of things but more from the perspective of converting leads into customers so there's a page on the website about that sign up if you're interested and yeah that's where you can find pretty much everything I'm doing Cool. Well, I've been following Maddie for a while on Twitter now that we uh, are, are knew that we we're going to do this podcast. So check her out on Twitter as well. She's at Maddie Osman, M-A-D-D-Y-O-S-M-A-N. Maddie, thank you so much for joining us. This was fun. I'm sure this helped a lot of people and it's a good primer for people who uh, might be interested in taking your course and, and learning more of the specifics. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, people ask me questions via email or on Twitter all the time. I'm always happy to answer. So don't feel or don't hesitate to reach out with any of those. And uh, Chris, thanks again for giving me time to come on the show. It was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun having you. Thanks very much, Maddie. Take care. Thanks, everyone.